Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning. Good morning and welcome again to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. This is Elder David Wise here with you this morning, and we'd invite you, if you're able to come worship with us in person in North Mississippi, we'd invite you to come see us at Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church outside Ackerman, Mississippi. Go check out our website too, macedonia-pbc.org. And you can also go see Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church outside Caledonia, Mississippi. And both of our churches meet for Sunday morning public worship every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., and then also we have a joint meeting on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. in Starkville, Mississippi at the La Quinta Inn. So we would love to meet you in person. If you are not in our area, we would love to hear from you. If you enjoy our program, you can go to our website at gospel-of-grace.com and you can get all of our past messages, subscribe to our podcast, find a church that's closer to you, and also be sure and send us an email if you enjoy the program and let us know through what medium you listen to our messages. We would certainly love to have that feedback from you. This morning, we would like to bring you the first portion of a message that will probably be aired in three installments of a message entitled, Does God Love the Whole World? Election and John 3.16. So many people question Primitive Baptist when we say that God chose a people before the foundation of the world and, and we're saved to heaven, not by any choice of our own, but solely by the grace of God. Many people bring up John 3.16. Well, it says that God so loved the world, but you're saying that God only loves the elect. So we want to rightly divide that for you and, and teach from the Word of God what John 3.16 means. We brought a message on that recently. And this will be the first of three segments of that message that we'd like to air for you. So we hope that this message will be beneficial for you. Please stay tuned for the first portion of that message right after this song.
I'd like to discuss with you, how do we reconcile John 3.16, it says that God loved the world, and the doctrine of unconditional election. So as primitive Baptists, we strive to uphold the teachings of the original church that we see presented in the New Testament scriptures. And as we study those New Testament scriptures, we see that the scriptures teach election, that God chose a people before the foundation of the world. He chose by his own free and sovereign grace to bestow his love and affection upon a group of people that were wholly undeserving of his love. But God's election and choice is particular. It's not general. We also see from the New Testament scriptures that there were some people that God passed over, people that are still in sin, that God did not see fit to choose to place his love and affection upon, and therefore they're in a position of judgment before God. So it's evident from the scriptures that God did not choose everyone to salvation. So it's very common when I try to explain the doctrine of election to people I come in contact with. Typically, one of their first responses will be, well, I don't believe that because God cannot have only chosen a certain people to salvation because it says in John 3.16 that God loves the entire world and he offers salvation to any that will believe on him. And that's what we want to consider today. We want to attempt to reconcile, according to the scriptures, how John 3.16 is properly interpreted in its immediate context and how does God loving the world reconcile with God choosing a people to salvation before the foundation of the world, which is the doctrine that we know as unconditional election. So we hope to consider that with you here today and certainly hope God will bless our consideration of that. If at the beginning of this message you don't agree with that premise, I certainly hope that you will listen to the scriptures that we reference. Try to study these things out for yourself. We'd love for you to contact me if you need any further clarification. But we need to uphold what the Word of God teaches. And I believe if we rightly divide the scriptures, we'll see that John 3.16 does reconcile properly with the scriptural doctrine that God chose a people in unconditional election before the foundation of the world. So first of all, we want to consider what exactly is election? What is unconditional election? Well, election simply means the act of picking or choosing out. And the scriptures teach that God's choice of a people to salvation is not based upon anything we did, not based on any foreseen merit, not based on any future works. Instead, it's not based on any condition. So therefore, since our choice to salvation was not based on any condition that we would meet, our election is therefore unconditional. And that's why we believe the scriptures teach unconditional election. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You see, God chose us. And when did God choose us? He didn't choose you when you chose to choose him. No, God chose you before the foundation foundation of the Lord, and that predates any action that you could have in your life that would be the condition that you would meet for God to choose you, right? Sometimes when people hear about the doctrine of election, they just want to say that the scriptures don't teach that. It's not in the word of God at all. Well, that is just simply not true. You're going to have to ignore a significant amount of the New Testament scriptures, the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of all the prominent apostles, and the article that's associated with the sermon we give, all of the references for Jesus teaching election, Luke chapter 18, verse 7, Matthew chapter 24, 
verses 22 to 31, Mark chapter 13, the Apostle Paul prevalently taught the doctrine of election, Romans 8, 33, Romans 9, 11, Romans 11, 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, the Apostle Peter also prevalently taught election, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Apostle John referenced election in 2 John verses 1 and 13. So it's so prevalent in the New Testament scriptures. And you can look at all of those references in the article that's associated with the sermon. So we see that election is clearly a doctrine that was prevalently taught in the original church. And therefore, we can't ignore it. We simply have to rightly divide it. So what does election mean? Election means that God chose a people in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, what is the basis of God's election? Did God choose those that he knew would eventually choose him? That would be a conditional election. Their election was based on a condition that they would later meet. Well, we have problems with that because that's essentially election by works. And we're going to see that election is not by works. Election is solely by God's grace. But furthermore, even if that was the case, let's assume that it could be the case. We see in Scripture that God says, you know, he did look out over time to see if there was any that would choose him, to see if there was any that would do good enough in the future that would be worthy of a conditional election. And what he found is that there wasn't anyone. There was nobody. So if the Scriptures teach that God chose those who he knew would choose him, then no one would have ever been chosen. That's what the Holy Spirit confirms for us in Psalm 14, beginning in verse 2. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. So there's not a single person on this earth when God looked out over all of mankind, over all of the history of the world, there's not a single person that God looked out and said, you know what? They're worthy, but by their own good works, by their understanding and seeking God, there's not a single person that's worthy to live in heaven with me. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. There's none that is worthy of me choosing them because of their actions. See, that's what salvation by works gets you. It gets you heaven being empty, okay? And that's why salvation has to be by grace, right? That's why salvation has to be by the sovereign, unmerited favor of God freely bestowed upon unworthy sinners. So therefore, election is not by foreseen works. It's not conditional upon things we would do in the future. Instead, election is solely by God's grace, which is God's unmerited favor. Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 5. Even so then, at this present time, there's also a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it's no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. And if it be of works, then it's no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. You see, grace is unmerited favor, and if it's unmerited, then there can't be a work that's the basis for you getting that, right? That's why Romans chapter 11 and verse 6 just makes it so clear. Grace and works are polar opposites. You just can't have one and the other because when you have one work that's involved in grace, it's not unmerited favor anymore. It's merited favor. It's wages. It's payment for an action. And once you have that one work, it's not unmerited anymore. It's just that cut and dry. It's 100% grace or it's 100% works. And we are elected. We're chosen. We were chosen by God before the foundation of the world 100% by grace, by unmerited favor. So we have this example in Romans chapter 9 
of God's choice of Jacob to salvation. Jacob, who God changed his name later to Israel, was God's chosen seed, chosen people to bless in a special way in the Old Testament. And we see that God was sovereign in his choice of Jacob, and he was sovereign in his choice to pass over Esau. Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 11. For the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said to her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So before these children were ever born, God had already told them that I'm going to give preference to the younger. The elder shall serve the younger. Now that was contrary to nature. That was contrary to the proper pattern of birthright at that time. But God saw fit in his sovereignty to break that protocol. Why? Because it was according to his own will and purpose to do that. He chose for the elder to serve the younger. He chose for Jacob the younger to be preferred. He chose to love Jacob, and he chose to leave Esau in the same condition that he was in. So first of all, we have to understand, when we see Esau have I hated, man is ruined in sin. Man is totally depraved, and every single person, me and you included in our own nature, is worthy of God's hatred because of our sin. Sometimes we want to just gloss over sin and act like it's not too bad. Every single sin, one individual sin, the scriptures say the thought of foolishness is sin. Even one single thought of foolishness is worthy of God's eternal hatred. So when we see someone that God hates, that means that that is someone that is justly condemned because of their own sins before a holy God. That does not mean that they are neutral and God just decided to hate them. No, those that are described in Scripture as being hated by God, such as Esau, God didn't just arbitrarily choose to hate them. No, they have sinned against God, they've rebelled against God, and God left them in that ruin and falling condition. But we have to approach election from the right perspective. It's very easy to look at this Scripture and say, wow, I can't believe that God didn't love Esau. Well, no, we have to understand that all of mankind is unworthy of God's love. Jacob was unworthy of God's love. You are unworthy of God's love. You and me and all of mankind have justly earned the hatred of God, and God would have been just to pass over everyone. So, unfortunately, when people hear election, they focus on that Esau have I hated. Well, the fact of the matter is, if it wasn't for unconditional election by God's sovereign grace, there would be nobody that he loved, okay? Because we're all worthy of God's hatred. Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. So why did God choose to bestow his love upon Jacob, even though he was unworthy of his love? Why did he do that? That the election would not be of works. I'll tell you, there's not much that's very impressive about Jacob. Prior to Genesis chapter 28, when he had an experience with God at Bethel, he changed after that. There's a high probability if you examine his life before and after, there's a high probability he may have been born again in Genesis chapter 28. Can't say that definitively, but it was a significant turning point in his life. But Jacob, prior to that point, he was a supplanter. That's what his name means. He was a supplanter. He deceived Esau into selling him his birthright. He lied and deceived his father to receive the blessing that was due to his brother. When Esau found out, he had to flee his father's house to, to not be killed. And the whole reason that he even had an experience with God in Bethel was because he fleed his homeland so his brother wouldn't kill him. 
Okay, so you look at Jacob's life prior to that experience with God at Bethel. He is not worthy of God's love at all. Certainly, Esau isn't worthy of his love, but Jacob sure isn't either. So why did God choose Jacob then? Because it's an election of grace, which means you don't deserve it, which means that it's unmerited. Why did God see fit to do this? He explains that in Romans chapter 9, verses 15 to 16, a couple verses later. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Why did God save you and choose you? It wasn't your will, okay? It wasn't your choice. It was God's will. It was God's choice. It wasn't by action that you performed, not of him that runneth. You're not saved by works. You're not saved by your will. You're saved by God's will and God's grace that God showed mercy and compassion upon you in the same way he showed mercy and compassion upon Jacob that didn't deserve it. We see a description of God's choice of Jacob in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest. But why? Why did God choose to bestow his special favor upon Jacob and then ultimately upon his family? But because the Lord loved you. It's by the love of God. God saw fit to choose, according to his own will and purpose, who he saw fit to magnify his glory and his name in. In Ephesians chapter 1, we've read that God has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. In verse 5 there in Ephesians 1, we've been predestinated under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Why? According to the good pleasure of his will, okay? We're chosen according to God's will, not our will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Why did God choose a people to save? To the praise of the glory of his grace. So those that have been chosen would glorify God for choosing them, okay? So it's a very common response to say, well, you know what? It's not fair. It's not fair that God didn't choose everybody. Well, praise God, God's not operating on fairness. Because if God was operating on fairness, he wouldn't have chosen anyone. Because all of mankind is totally depraved and wretched and unworthy of God's love. But out of all that wretched lot of humanity that rebelled against God, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not a single person that's worthy of God's love. Instead of God just being a cruel, cold, righteous judge and condemning us all to hell, he saw fit by his own love and mercy to choose out of people to save. And we thank him for that. You know, I think it's helpful to think about election in the context of a husband choosing a bride. Because that's what Jesus is. Jesus is our husband and he chose out a bride. And when a husband chooses a bride, he doesn't have any animosity toward all the rest of the women in the world. He's not injuring all the rest of the women in the world. He leaves everyone else except for the, his wife. The husband leaves everyone else exactly where they are. And that's what we need to understand about election. God did not choose some to go to heaven and also choose some to go to hell. No, God did not predestinate anyone to hell. God chose a people to save from hell. And everyone else at the end of time that will be in hell is there by their own sins that justly condemn them before a holy God, okay? So God didn't predestinate some to hell and some to heaven. No, God took people from hell and chose to save them to heaven. So therefore, those that God passed over, those that are still in a state of hatred toward God, such as Esau, that was Esau's condition in his nature, and God passed over Esau. He did not 
injure Esau at all. He did not make his situation any worse by passing over him. No, he left Esau exactly where he was. And that's what the husband does when he chooses a bride. He leaves everyone else exactly where they are, but he chooses to bestow his love and affection upon a special woman that he loves, and then he makes a covenant to love only that woman. So it's very unfortunate that people would commend a husband for choosing a wife over all the rest of the women in this world and choosing to covenant her and to love her. Men would commend a husband for doing that, but yet they want to charge God with being unrighteous by not loving everyone. No, we extol the love that a husband has toward his individual bride. We don't rebuke him for not loving everyone. No, it's according to his own will and purpose and love to love who God has burdened his heart to love, okay? It's not his obligation to love everyone. And therefore, we need to view Jesus the same way. God's not obligated. We need to understand that. God's not obligated to love and save everyone. No one's worthy of God's love. No one's worthy of God's choice or election. But he did see fit to choose a people to save. So next, we want to just consider a brief little survey of the use of the word world in the scriptures, and particularly the same Greek word cosmos that is used in John chapter 3 and verse 16. The definition for cosmos from Strong's Concordance is an orderly arrangement, by implication, the world, notice in a wide or a narrow sense, including its inhabitants literally or figuratively. So you'll see even this definition of the word affirms that it can have a wide application or it can have a more narrow application. I believe we'll see in scripture that this Greek word cosmos has a multitude of different applications in both a wide and a narrow sense, depending on the context. And it rarely means all mankind without exception. So let's look at just a brief little survey of some of these uses of cosmos in scripture. John chapter 1 and verse 10, Jesus came into the world and the world knew him not. Well, there's a lot of people in the world that rejected Jesus, but obviously there were many people who did know him and follow him, such as the disciples. We see in John chapter 1 and verse 29 that John the Baptist proclaimed that Jesus was the lamb that would take away the sin of the world. But Jesus did not take away the sin of the whole world without exception. Otherwise, there would be no sin to send anyone to hell at the end of time. So that sin of the world is not all mankind and all sins without exception. Otherwise, the scriptures would uphold universalism. Instead, it's the whole world without distinction, which is the same context in John 3.16 that we'll consider more in depth in just a little bit. John chapter 15, verse 18, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So the world, the fallen system of this world, apart from God's grace, that's antagonistic toward God, the world hates Jesus and his disciples. But obviously everyone in the world doesn't hate the disciples and everyone in the world doesn't hate Jesus, right? So that's not the entire world without exception. Notice this in John chapter 17 and verse 9, Jesus is praying to God the Father. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. He says earlier in that chapter, those that you have given me out of the world. So that's a distinction between the world. Not only am I not praying for the world, but I'm praying for those that you have given me out of the world. Isn't it interesting that if Jesus loved the entire world without exception, there in John 17, he wasn't praying for the world. He wasn't praying for everyone. He was praying for those that God had given him out of the world. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, we know that we are of God 
and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Well, obviously the whole world without exception doesn't lie in wickedness because the first half of that verse says, we know that we are of God. The Apostle Paul said, commending the Roman church in Romans chapter one and verse eight, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Well, it's very obvious that the Indians and the Chinese and everyone in the entire world was not speaking of the faith of the Roman church. Well, no, he was using the word world to describe a very large network of the churches and the disciples of Christ at that time. So your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. That's not everyone without exception. No, he's just presenting a large group of people in a very wide sense to convey a fault. So this Greek word cosmos is found 152 times in the New Testament. And if you do a word search of every time it's used, I think you'll see a very similar survey of these brief ones that we considered that it has a multitude of different meanings depending on the context and the verse and the application it's used in that immediate setting. So suffice to say, we can't just say that because God loved the world, that he loves all of mankind without exception, okay? We have to rightly divide what world means in every setting, and we certainly want to do that as we make our way to John 3.16 and the proper interpretation of that verse. Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall this grace begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free. If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. To find a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast, entitled The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Radio Broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road, on Highway 15 just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful the